Previously on At The Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Chaney, and Lou Katz. You don't like Baby Yoda? Who doesn't like Baby Yoda? Well, <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think I'm the Baby Yoda demographic. The Baby Yoda demographic is everyone. Is everyone it? with a heart. <laughs> well, as I said. <laughs> <laughs> That's not me. At The Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Chaney, and Lou Katz begins now. Hello once again, I am Lou Katz, and welcome to our entertainment podcast that tries its best to inform you on the ever-changing world of entertainment. And in order to do that, we welcome, from Vulture and WTOP Radio, entertainment reporter Jen Chaney. Hello. She is here, and of course, we also want to welcome entertainment's answer to a walking history book and the only guy still wearing earth shoes these days. <laughs> Let's bring on Arch Campbell. Yes. Thank you so much. And uh, here we are for another episode, and it's always great to start to uh, hear from Jen Cheney on what's new this week. Well, I've got three things to mention. The first is a new FX on Hulu series that just started uh, streaming. This, the first three episodes are available. It's called A Teacher. Mm -hmm. And it was previously a film. They've made it into a series and they've changed some of the, um, the details and certainly the uh, extent to which it can go a little more in depth with the characters. And it's about um, a teacher, a high school teacher who has an affair with one of her students and the fallout from that. And Kate Mara plays the teacher. It's an interesting series because the first few episodes are very much about the relationship developing. And they put a lot of like disclaimers on it, like, you know, for people who have maybe been in that situation, like this might be triggering. Um, and it, but you don't really get the full sense of how inappropriate it is until later in the season. Uh, and I, I feel like that was a deliberate choice to sort of put you in the mindset of maybe how Kate Mara's character might have felt about it, how in, when you're in this little bubble, you don't somehow realize that what you're doing is uh, illegal and very bad. But anyway, it's an interesting series. Um, now, as I understand, the uh, the man, uh, the boy, is on the cusp of being 18. Yes. Uh, is, is, uh, does that make it uh, a little less, a little less? <laughs> Well, and it, I mean, it helps too that, um, and I'm not going to remember the actor's name right now, but he was in Love, Simon. He played the main character in that movie. He's, you know, he's in his mid-20s in real life, mm -hmm. and he doesn't look like a high school kid to me. Um, I, he can pass, but he, he doesn't look as, as young as maybe an actual 17 going on 18-year-old does, so it, that helps you maybe put it out of your mind a little bit, but it, it, definitely, it, it definitely comes front and center as the, as the show goes on. And then- It sounds uh, a little icky. Um, it is a little icky, I guess, but that's sort of the point. Is that the point? <laughs> it, it doesn't feel as icky as it, as it sounds until everything starts to fall apart and other people, other people start to find out what's going on and it becomes much more clear to, to Kate Mara's character that what she's done is really mm. horrible. Wow. Um, but anyway, so that's one thing. Yeah, on good. Sunday, the fourth season of The Crown will drop on mm. Netflix. And wow. a terrific show, and and this season in particular is is great because it's we finally get to the 1980s. Princess Diana finally enters the picture. Margaret Thatcher en enters the picture, and it's just you know on a cold day you want to just <laughs> burrow inside and watch that show from beginning to end. Uh, so I, I definitely recommend this season. Who plays Princess Diana? It's a, a British actress named Emma Corrin 
who has a few credits on her resume, but not a ton. This is like the, certainly the biggest thing that she's done. And she's very well cast. I mean, she does have that look and uh, she's, she's very good in it. She really is. And, and does she come off as uh, a victim or it, I would her say own it's, worst enemy? It's a, it's a nuanced portrait. I mean. Mm, wow. Yeah. Um, Can't wait. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really great. And then this last thing I'll mention, which I have actually not checked out yet, but it also mm. arrives on Sunday. Uh, it's a new docu-series about the Reagans, about Ronald and Nancy Reagan and, and their relationship. Um, it's going to be on Showtime. Um, like I said, I haven't had an opportunity to, to watch it yet, but um, you know, I'm sure some people will be really interested in checking that out. Well, speaking of uh, being interested in uh, checking things out, it's always a pleasure when we bring on our guest critic. And this week uh, is one of my favorite guys. It's, of course, Jason Fraley from WTOP. And uh, should I also mention you're an adjunct professor at American University? Can I still say that? Or you have been? Well, yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, I, did it, I did it a few summers in a row there, not much since the virus started, of course. So I don't know, maybe in the future again. <laughs> yeah, I would love to take your class. So uh, watch out if there ever is in-person teaching again. I want to take your so. class. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd rather take yours. <laughs> what, what are you watching these days? Well, the, the honest answer is, a, a bunch of election coverage because I thought <laughs> I thought it was going to be a one night thing that turned into about a five day thing. But that, really? it's even it's one night. Say again? <laughs> well, no, of course you, you knew it wasn't going to be. And actually, in fact, the fact that you know everyone seems so surprised about how it shifted from you know the in person ballots the first or the in person voting the first day, and then suddenly where are all these mail in ballots? Why are we acting so shocked? We saw it coming from us. There's a but, pandemic exactly. that might account for the change. <laughs> It's all about well, the you know, what? you are bringing up the question of, I mean, since uh, one of the great uh, TV shows to come out of the 2008 election was uh, the one about uh, Sarah Palin, are we seeing the stuff of, of a of a series or movie in the future? Are you kidding? There's gonna be like 8 million of them. <laughs> I mean, I, I think there better be. I mean, you remember um, who played it? Woody Harrelson uh, was Steve Schmidt who went on to do the Lincoln Project this uh -huh. year. Like a lot uh -huh. of those players, um, and, and he, of course, uh, John McCain uh, was Ed Harris. John McCain's state pretty much flipped Arizona. So like a lot, you see a lot of those uh, carrying over into today. But in terms of, you know, fictional sort of stuff, I guess you call it fiction. I just watched Mank. Have you guys seen Mank yet? No. I haven't yet. I really, did you get a screener of it? So I set up an interview with Ben Mankiewicz, obviously, mm -hmm. uh, you mm -hmm. know, of Turner Classic Movies, who's, you know, related to, to Mank. It was his grandfather was Herman Mankiewicz, yeah. the writer of Citizen Kane. Uh, exactly. So I was able to get Netflix sent me in really early screener because of that. Um, oh. I think it doesn't hit Netflix till, till December 4th. I really enjoyed it. I, I will I will say that it's it's not for everybody because it's, you know, it's in black and white and it's similar mm -hmm. to Citizen Kane. It's sort of the puzzle pieces. Fin David Fincher moves the pieces of Manx's life around out of order, kind of like the original Kane did. So I will say it's not for everybody, but for movie buffs like all of us, we're, I loved it. All the references to... Irving Thalberg and Louis B. Mayer and Marion right, Davies, right. you know, it, it reminded me sort of of the Kirk Douglas Bad and the Beautiful, like all the old Hollywood references, you know. So well, I, you know, 
Herman Mankiewicz was the father of Frank Mankiewicz, who was a Washington player for many, many years. And I got to know Frank a little bit because when uh, Oliver Stone made JFK, he hired Helen Knowlton to promote uh, the release of the uh, some of the committee findings during the Kennedy assassination. And uh, Frank Mankiewicz used Helen Knowlton to promote JFK through the front page of the newspapers. And uh, I once interviewed Frank about his father. And uh, one of the things he said was how uh, the Hearst newspapers kind of hounded him after he uh, uh, wrote uh, Citizen Kane. The other, thing, the other night, Citizen Kane was on uh, Turner Classics, and I just happened to switch over there, and I saw the scene where uh, Kane is defeated for governor. And so they go back to the composing room of the newspaper, and uh, his, uh, his uh, assistant says, I guess we won't be using this one, and they hold up a, a print page that says Kane elected. And he says, I guess we'll use this one which says fraud at poll. <laughs> <laughs> that was 1941. <laughs> that, that was Dewey Beach Truman back there, you know, but now exactly. watch, I guess if you watch that scene post, uh, well, this week, uh -huh. <laughs> the meaning. Is it helpful to, to watch Citizen Kane again before watching Mank? Because I've heard some people say that. I would, ab I would absolutely say that, especially if you, I mean, all of us, we probably remember Citizen Kane well mm -hmm. enough, but mm -hmm. I would say, you know, you know, average moviegoer, I would absolutely say watch it because I think it's, there's a lot, there's a lot of inside baseball, I guess I would say. I feel mm -hmm. like, I feel like so much of it, but not too much. So it really focuses on the man. Like I, I actually was expecting it to be more of Orson Welles. He's, not really in it much it's so it, i wouldn't call it a the making of citizen kane by any means i was expecting it to be more of the old remember pauline kale wrote raising kane that said it was sort of anti orson wells saying that he didn't have as much to yeah, do with the script yeah, as mank yeah. but then peter bogdanovich did the kane mutiny that said no wells had a bigger role i thought it was going to be more of that but it really wasn't orson wells at all it really was focusing on this man uh who happened to be writing citizen kane that that would be my how i would tee it up okay he was famous for his alcoholism did they get into that oh yeah gary oldman who's who's once again transforms himself uh, he oh, was winston churchill a couple years ago and now he's a, an alcoholic screenwriter it's funny how he can shift but yeah he he's He's put up in, in a in a bed um, after a car accident, um, pretty much uh -huh. during the writing of all of this, you know, boozing away out of his mind. And he died at a young age from that. But actually, yeah, Frank you know, told me that uh, that he uh, sideswiped um, uh, Lee Gershwin, who was Ira Gershwin's wife. And that the Hearst uh, newspapers just spread that all over the place. That it was just kind of a of a fender bender. And uh, there is a famous story where uh, Herman Mankiewicz was at a dinner party, and uh, during the dinner party, vomited. Oh, <laughs> And after he vomits, he says, well, it's okay because uh, the white wine came up with the fish. <laughs> that's, that's in the movie. The big, Is it? I can't remember if that line itself, uh, that line's gold. It should be. And I can't remember if the line's in there. But they actually have this big embarrassing scene where he, he vomits in front of everybody. But, but was he embarrassed or not? Uh, well, I, <laughs> I would have been until I had that zinger. I would <laughs> I can't wait. Hey, Arch, is what, it, 
when I interviewed Ben, I mentioned, I said, I mentioned the story you told me once, the, the one about how you, you, you saw the actual Oscar in, at, in yes, Oregon. Yes. Yeah. And he, he says, hello. He's like, I know, Arch. <laughs> well, uh, Ben was a writer at Channel 7 way back in the uh, late 70s and early 80s. And his brother, Josh, was a reporter at Channel 7. And I had a friend, Larry Shaneman, who was good friends with both of the Mankiewicz uh, sons. And every now and then we would roll into a bar at uh, midnight after the 11 o'clock news and uh, drink beer and eat hamburgers. That's how long ago it was. So I, you know, I, I wish I could get in touch with Ben because I really admire his work now. What a great thing for him. Is Mank uh, four total stars or is it uh, just uh, for... <laughs> Or old people like me. <laughs> it, it's probably in that three and a half to four range. I mean, yeah, for us, it might be four. I think I think it will have a lot of buzz this award season, especially because mostly things are, you know, it's just going to be streaming nominees mostly, and we don't have as much to go through. But, um, you know, watch, you know, other people. If, if, I, if you I have, like, wait. some family members watching it with you, your spouse that, that doesn't know the whole backstory of Citizen Kane, they might think it's more of a three-star. <laughs> But I, I, I'm I'm closer to four. Wow. I, well, I can't wait. I I, uh, I envy you're already seeing it. Uh, you know, I wanted to ask both of you: Are you working on a ten best movie list uh, for this year? I'm working on ten best TV shows. Uh huh. I don't yeah. know if I've seen ten movies worth mentioning. I actually um. I think, Arch, if you sit down and start putting the list together and then, mm -hmm. you know, you add some of the other award contenders that come out, you know, maybe between now and the end of the year, I think you'll be surprised how fast you get to 10. Because I tried to do it the other day and I thought, oh, wow, there's there's more than I thought when you include some documentaries and stuff. Yeah, I, I think I think we'll be able to do it. Well, trial of the Chicago 7, certainly. And uh, well, I'm, I'm working on my list. Hey, because of you, Jen, I watched The Queen's Gambit with Anya Taylor-Joy and I just, I, I just went through the whole thing in like two nights. I just, I couldn't stop watching it. Although the early uh, segments are much stronger than the conclusion, but uh, wow, I really loved that. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and of course we're hooked on the undoing at my house. Although I don't know what we're gonna do now that the crown is coming on Sunday night. I guess you we're gonna have to stay crown. up all night. You can watch The Crown anytime. It'll and also it'll come on like early in the day, so you can kind of. Oh, good. It. Yeah. Good, and it's going to be a rainy weekend. <laughs> so that'll help. Yeah. Have either of you heard of Money Heist on Netflix? Yeah. Have you heard of Money Heist? It sounds familiar, but I don't know why. I went to the dentist, and my dentist. Every great story was, begins like that. <laughs> He was ripping crowns off of my teeth. Started talking about Money Heist, and I've started watching it. It's on Netflix, and it's a Spanish series that started in 2017 about this uh, mastermind, the professor, who uh, masterminds the invasion of the printing uh, press in Spain. And uh, they hold all these people hostage and they're wearing masks. I mean, there's there. it's a riff, I think, on Reservoir Dogs and on Kansas City Confidential. 
you know, where the guy puts together the uh, the team of uh, misfits and and makes uh, makes them wear masks so they don't know each other. And it turned into a huge hit in 2017, and since then has gone on into four seasons, and a new season is coming. The only thing is, it's dubbed in English. It's shot in Spanish and dubbed in English. Hmm. So it looks like a Godzilla movie. <laughs> I'll check it out. The, the way you were starting that story about going to the dentist, I thought you were going to do another season of The Crown. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Arches crowns. Exactly. <laughs> so, so we're looking forward to Mank because of you, Jason. And of course, we're looking forward to uh, The Crown because of you, uh, Jen, and uh, and I suppose the Reagans and a teacher as well. Uh, right I now, I think, yes. <laughs> the, the review embargo on Hillbilly Elegy uh, uh, mm. as of like earlier this week. I, I have seen it. I don't know if either of you have but it is getting absolutely pummeled. Um, and right Really? Now, yeah. Really? Yeah. Because uh, I ran right out and bought the book, and so did my wife, and uh, she has been pushing on me, wanting to know when it... Uh, so is, is there still an embargo? Or no, the, the review embargo expired, and it comes out in a couple of weeks on, on Netflix. Yeah. Um, I just, I'm very curious to see how it factors into the award season, because... I mean, I like Ron Howard, um, but it's a very pedestrian movie with like zero nuance whatsoever. And, you know, Amy Adams and Glenn Close are, are fine, but it, but it does feel very like, I am going to, you know, try <laughs> yes. to win an Oscar now a little bit. Uh, yes, I don't have to be glamorous. <laughs> I, honestly, I they both should have Oscars by now. Like, mm -hmm. so I, I'm, I'm in full support of giving them an, an award, but just not for this. Um, for anything else they've done, but maybe not for this. You know, I told you several months ago that uh, we just happened on Junebug and watched it again for the first time in years. And it was such a, a home run for Amy Adams, who wasn't even supposed to be the featured, uh, you know, she wasn't supposed to be the big star of it. And she stole the movie. Mm -hmm. So someday she'll get an Oscar. But I'm, I'm sorry to hear that, but wow. Well, <laughs> on that note, <laughs> Lou, what's going on at Hound Radio? What are you watching these days? Well, I've been watching the uh, the Undoing, loving that, and we also did the uh, the Queen's Gambit last night. As a matter of fact, saw the very first one, and uh, oh, my wife Wendy goes, "You'll probably be sleeping through this." And actually, I, it, it caught my attention. I liked it, so I'm looking forward to the rest of that. That's what we are watching, and here's what we're hearing. On Hound Radio, our feature about dogs. Hound Radio welcomes you to the weird and wacky world of dogs. A weekly look at what our canine friends are up to. Picture this. You're ready to fall asleep. You've got the pillows all fluffed up just right. The white noise machine is on. And then you hear, scratch, scratch. Your dog is also trying to fall asleep, following his ancient survival instinct to dig a spot in the dirt to lie in. In the wild, that little hole helped regulate body temperature and offered a bit of a hiding place. A bed of fabric doesn't offer those benefits, but it could be that cushion scratching is the canine equivalent of you fluffing your pillows. Okay, you're asleep, your dog's asleep, but now you hear whimpering and little grunts. Your dog's legs are twitching. He's dreaming, just like you. 
Researchers say dogs enter REM sleep about 20 minutes after they fall asleep, and the session might last two to three minutes. Stanley Corin, author of Do Dogs Dream, says yes, they dream doggy things. A Doberman will chase dream burglars. A pointer will point at dream pheasants. It's all part of a good night's sleep, so pleasant dreams. I'm Faith Lapidus for Hound Radio. The Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Cheney, and Lou Katz comes to you from the secret underground bunker studios of the Katz Podcasting System. So uh, there's much to discuss uh, with the culture, and I think uh, we should begin with the thing on everyone's mind, and that is the passing of Alec Trebek. Welcome to America's favorite answering question game, Jeopardy. What are our thoughts? I mean, this, this was not at all unexpected. He was diagnosed no. with stage four pancreatic cancer. Uh, over a year ago. And in fact, the fact that he lived as long as he did and was able to continue working, um, really, uh, he kind of beat the odds there because a lot of people with that diagnosis don't live as long as he did. But I actually wrote a piece about an appreciation uh, about him for Vulture, just about like how he he was sort of a, a symbol of the idea that facts and knowledge matter. Um, you know, he was he was so intertwined with Jeopardy, obviously, and he was just he was a host that was very authoritative and it's just I don't know you know when he was diagnosed I feel like people appreciated him more and I think they maybe appreciated him more also because of the environment that we're living in where I think he's a tribute to uh, longevity for one thing and he also he brings up the same sadness as when uh, Regis Philbin passed away yeah to lose both of them in the same year was I mean that Mm -hmm. Those are two of the most iconic game show hosts ever, Millionaire and, and Jeopardy. And, you know, Jeopardy is, was sort of for many, many years, sort of, you know, that your your comfort food, you'd, you'd, you'd eat dinner and then you had Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy every night. It's going to be weird to not have Alex Trebek there. But I actually, um, I, I interviewed Trebek in 2016. He, they were taping one of the team tournaments down at DAR Constitution Hall. Right. Um, and uh, we did a little answering question back and forth with him. And, <laughs> So I, I said, this football team was your favorite team. Who do you think he picked? Who are the Washington Redskins? And they've been my favorite team for many, many years. When did you first start watching them? Did you go RFK? Oh, gosh. This goes back to uh, the uh, Allen days, the Sonny Jurgensen days, the Sam Huff days. It goes back to Vince Lombardi yeah. days. And then uh, I said, this best picture winner is your favorite movie. What do you think it was? What is How Green Was My Valley? Why do you love that so much? Oh, because it's a great family story. It has a lot of emotion to it. It's uh, the story of a father's relationship with his son, and that is always dear to me. Wow. What, a, what a great guy. And, and, and the fact that, you know, we'll always remember those celebrity Jeopardy things. If, if Will Ferrell and, what was it, Daryl Hammond, don't do, yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't do him and Connery this weekend, something's wrong. Do you think they'll come back to do uh, seriously for that? Because... Uh, I, I personally have rewatched those Celebrity Jeopardy uh, bits. They're so funny. Oh, it, 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 I, I mean, I hope so. My, my favorite, I, I, I loved how, how he would, you know, it, <laughs> it would say what, and the category would be an album cover, and he'd be like, I'll take anal bum cover. It was just great. <laughs> yes. So good. S words. <laughs> S words. I'll take swords. <laughs> Your mother, Trebek. Like the, it's 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 tied into our brain. Sean Connery and Alex Trebek, and the fact that we lost both of them this week is sadly fitting in a way. I think SNL is dark this week, though. 
I, I could be wrong, but I don't think they have a new show. Mm. Right. I thought Chappelle did a great job last week. I thought last week was one of the best SNLs ever. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll admit it. I'll admit I only watched the Chappelle opening, the cold open, oh. the monologue, and the weekend update. But that I thought were the highlights, but maybe in between, yeah. I don't know, Jen. There, there is a skit in between where they cut to Maya Rudolph and Kenan Thompson, and they're in a conference room with Alec Baldwin, and uh, he's firing them. And right. Maya Rudolph said, you can't fire me. But I'm Aunt Jemima. Who doesn't love pancakes <laughs> everyone loves your pancakes aunt jemima it's you you're the problem and then count chocula comes in it's just that that was uh awfully good i, I, mean, I find listen, a lot I, of i love chappelle but i think <clears throat> every time john mulaney is host that is always the best episode like bar none wow in terms of consistency because yeah. they, they yeah. always do those huge um ridiculous musical numbers uh, mm -hmm. and they did another one when Mulaney hosted a couple weeks ago and I, I just and like you're right about that that was brilliant yeah I think having Chappelle there just like he was four years ago after uh -huh. the 16 mm -hmm. election was sort of a nice full circle moment yeah even though it made me very nervous when they announced right. it I'm like this is a bad sign <laughs> right and fighters so a double DC area connection yep uh, before we get on to Sean Connery whom we also need to remember uh any thoughts on who can replace Alec Trebek? I say Ken Jennings. That seems like the natural yeah. move, right? He's who else is more associated with Jeopardy than Ken? And they've Jennings? already put that in place a little bit by bringing him into yeah. the, into the fold. So yeah, that's my expectation too. Have you read this thing about Stephanopoulos? George Stephanopoulos wanting yeah. to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't see that so much. I mean, I will give them some credit. I thought ABC was one of the better coverages that I kept tuning back into throughout um, throughout mm -hmm. the election. But um, no, nah, not for Jeopardy. <laughs> uh, and that does bring us to Sean Connery. My name is Bond, James Bond. 90 years old uh, and the original James Bond or the, the James Bond for most of us who loves James, love James Bond. I've been thinking about James Bond. You know, I think that was such a, a character for the time, 1962 to uh, the last one he did was 1983. Uh, and I've never felt the same way about uh, Bond and the Bond movie since. Yeah, I mean, they've evolved. They're very, they're very different now than they were then. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's it's kind of hard to do Bond and the quote Bond girls in the in the post Me Too era. I don't think it really that no, aspect of it, no. which was a huge driving aspect with all the double entendre names and things. It it just doesn't really, especially post Austin Powers too. It feels a little you know played out. But Connery, man, the only Bond probably right the 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 Bond. I think he did it six officially, seven if you count the Never Say Never Again thing. But to me, um, Goldfinger obviously is probably the the oh, gateway man. drug to Bond for everybody. If you, if you haven't seen it, that you got to go back and check that one out. Because for their time, they pushed the envelope so as far as it could go. And now you're right. It's, uh, you know, out of, out of tune, out of sync with our times. You have any uh, Connery films you like other than the Bonds? What, what comes to your mind? Well, certainly him playing Indiana Jones' dad. I mean, that was that was a great pairing, him and Harrison Ford. Those people are trying to kill us. I know, Dad! That's a new experience for me. Man, I would, I would uh, maybe because I was the age I saw it, but um, that was the 
first one I can really remember being alive for. But I was born in the year of Temple of Doom. But um, but I think <laughs> I hold I hold Last Crusade up with Raiders because I, the whole Holy Grail thing I love with the penitent men will pass and, and you have to step out onto the invisible bridge. Like Connery is just him and Indiana Jones, James Bond and Indiana Jones as father and son. I mean, it's hard to beat for me. And well, but let's let's not go nuts because Raiders is still the better movie. Of course, that was the call. <laughs> No. I, I want to mention The Man Who Would Be King from 1975, which was uh, uh, one of his films where he stepped away from Bond and was actually, it was the movie that John Huston wanted to make with Humphrey Bogart. And to me, that's the thing that made uh, Connery a great actor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that so. was a great, great movie. And uh, you'll, he, he loses his head in the end, right? <laughs> Yeah, I, I, that's crown. one that I would like to see that again. Well, let's it see. Ago. It's, it holds up. Uh, Him and Michael Caine. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, there. I I take that back a little. There, there's a little bit of that Gunga Din, you know, colonialism aspect that doesn't necessarily hold up, but the performances hold up. Jason, whenever you're on, I like you to throw your uh, one of your ten bests at us. So, uh, what are you thinking of uh, genres today? Well, how about in honor of the election, uh, we'll do, I, I, did a, I did a list that was uh, politics and media movies. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of stuff that were in the top 10, like, you know, Kirk Douglas, Ace in the Hole, and Andy Griffith, The Face in the Crowd, and, you know, those Frankenheimer movies like Seven Days in May and yeah. Manchurian Candidate. They were, those are some great political yeah. media movies, but my top five, I'll give them to you. Five, I had Frank Capra's Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. I mean, it's just mm, Jimmy Stewart. Wow. And he should have won the Oscar that year. And, you know, that that Boy Scout Jefferson Smith coming to fill the vacancy in the Senate. And I, I just think there's so many lessons, even even in our politics today, that, that you can learn from that one. Um, number four, I had, I actually put Spotlight. I, I freaking love Spotlight. I mean, I know it's a, a it's a newer one, but you know, Keaton and Ruffalo and McAdams and Shriver. And it it was, it it ended up winning best picture. And I was, I was happy with it. It was just sort of that old school nuts and bolts. Look at the Boston Globes investigation into the the Catholic church abuse scandal. I just thought it was really well handled. Number three, I had Sidney Lumet's network. I mean, that's the greatest broadcast journalism movie ever. Talk Um, about something that holds up. uh, Ahead of its time. I mean, the, a lot of the problem we're dealing with now in politics is the rise of cable news. We're living in two silos of two separate alternative facts, two different realities so many people are living in. And Network sort of predicted that with, uh, you know, Peter Finch doing his Howard Beale, I'm mad as hell, I'm not going to take it anymore. I mean, I re- he, uh, he, that movie's so much scary. You go back and look at, especially the scene with the, I think it's yeah. Ned Beatty as the, as the TV exec sitting down at the end. Um, it's, it's eerily, eerily foreshadows a lot of what we're dealing with. Number two, this actually might be my number one. But <laughs> number two, I had All the President's Men. Um, I, yeah. I, I just watched it again last week. Yeah, I was in politics mode and I threw it on again. It so holds up. It is, it's hard. How did they make a political thriller out of something we knew, knew the ending with Watergate? But um, just watching, you know, Redford and Hoffman do their thing as Woodward and Bernstein and those scenes in 
with with deep throat follow the money and and then of course ben bradley winning the oscar or uh, james robards winning the oscar is ben bradley i i freaking love all the presidents man i think that's an all-timer in my book so yeah that's probably my personal favorite but for number one i i went with citizen kane just because it seemed like it was the deep. Right. maybe i just watched mank but it's hard to find a movie about a, a political you know and media mogul that that's more important to movie history than citizen kane it, a lot of a lot of uh, parallels you you can draw to certain politicians nowadays in terms of being born with the silver spoon in the mouth. And, you know, there's the line in there that right. they with me was, if I had not been really rich, I might've been a great man. It's, uh, <laughs> it, it's one of those that I think I fell asleep watching the first time in high school, but the more you return to it, the themes of Rosebud and the loss of innocence and, you know, what you can amass everything, but what you miss at, at, on your deathbed. I, I think there's a lot of truth in that movie. So I had no. that at number one. What, what would you guys no. be for your favorites? Well, Jen and I communicated about the candidate. Oh yeah. Yeah. I feel like we may have talked about this on the podcast or maybe I talked about it with somebody else. I don't know, but two that are, are more recent are election um, with Matthew Broderick and Reese Witherspoon, mm. um, which I think is a great, great movie. And Speaking of all the president's men, the sort of bizarro world version of that, which is the movie Dick, which I think is hilarious. So every week, uh, Jen quizzes us with her flashbacks and favorites. <laughs> and uh, what are you going to skewer us with this week? Well, what Jason was saying earlier about Alex Trebek and, and asking him his favorite Best Picture winner made me think, uh, I'm curious to know, what is your least favorite Best Picture winner? Oh, wow. Shakespeare in Love over Private Ryan always is the first thing that jumps out to me. Yeah, but do you hate Shakespeare in Love that much? No, I actually think it's a really good script that if, if it had not had won, it, you know, it would be held in higher regard. I think sometimes right. it gets right. gypped, you know? Uh, I'd like to throw out The Shape of Water. Right. <laughs> I, over Get I Out. I hate it. Yeah, Get Out should have won. I did, good... in the Shape of Water, <laughs> I did, you know, honestly... Uh, that that is the that's the most difficult best picture uh, winner to uh, really uh, to to argue for that I can think of. I just thought it was like what? Yeah, that's a really good one in in recent years because you know a lot of a lot of people would do the Black Panther should have beat Green Book thing, but you're right. Mm -hmm. the, your uh, Shape of Water should have lost to to get out. Um, Historically, I mean, I think it's crazy that Singing in the Rain lost to The Greatest Show on Earth, a movie that no one even talks about anymore in 52. No. Um, in 58, Gigi should have never beaten like Vertigo in Touch of Evil. 68, Oliver, while it had some, right. catchy, some catchy songs, that should have been the year of Space Odyssey or Rosemary's Baby or... Planet of the Apes or Once Upon a Time in the West. Like so many good movies come out, came out that year. Those are some that are coming to mind. So Jen, what's your least favorite Oscar I, I feel like winner? you can guess. I have two answers, but I feel like you can guess what oh, one of them is. Let's see. Uh, let me see. A recent one? Yeah. A recent one. Has it been mentioned yet? Oh, it must be Green Book. Oh, Green yep. Book. Okay. Green Book is a, a, an egregious, ridiculous movie to have won anything, let alone Best Picture. It's absurd in, in, in this decade that that movie won Best Picture. But the one that like made me mad um, personally was when Gandhi beat E.T. I was outraged. I was like nine or 10 years old and I was just absolutely furious. <laughs> So was, uh, you know what, so so was uh, 
Attenborough, right? I think he he told Spielberg that that he's he was like you should have won, and that's why he played the the guy in Jurassic Park was because as a makeup, I think. Um, Yeah, my wife and I threw on ET during election night. We were like, we need we need something (laughs) coming. It was good, but yeah, I mean, there's I mean, especially after Chadwick Boseman's death, but even before that, everyone could read the tea leaves. Like Black Panther will be the one we talk about from from 2018. I mean, I don't even know that I would say that Black Panther should have won necessarily, but I just think Green Book is a terrible movie. The performances in it are good. It's terrible, absolutely terrible. And I think uh, history will probably prove you right in terms of uh, it, its win. And then in terms of, you know what I think actually kind of gets a little bit of a, a the shaft a little bit is I think both were pretty darn good. The, the whole Moonlight La La Land gaff. Like, um, mm-hmm. I would have been fine with either winning. I think I'm glad Moonlight won in upset because it was so much more, you know, groundbreaking and everything. But I think La La Land was still pretty darn good in a different year. I don't know. I think that was a year that either could have won. Well, now I, I don't want to defend Green Book, but I, I want to say that uh, it was uh, it was quite watchable. I mean, it's it is out of sync with the times. Yes, it's not uh, it's not a story for our time, but but it was uh, it was very watchable and and extremely popular. So I mean, it was, I think it was it's hard, think. difficult to hate. It, it was watchable in large part for me because of Mahershala Ali and Viggo Mortensen. Mm-hmm. I think they did a great job in their performances. But I think the reason it was popular is because in this country, it's it, it's a movie that you watch and it's like, oh, racism exists, but let us uh-huh. let's let this nice white man tell us about it and, and show how he's transformed himself. That is the way that we take in racism and it's okay with us and that's popular. Yeah. It makes us feel better yeah. as white people. And that's not, sorry to get like way political at the end of this podcast, but like that that's what really bothered me about it more than anything. I, I remember- All I'm saying, it was is it was watchable the shape of water i honestly I like the hated. shape of water <laughs> <laughs> well i'm glad we're on a podcast because you probably <laughs> punched me out next <laughs> that? Uh, tony, tony kornheiser's show called it grinding nemo <laughs> <laughs> should all go our separate ways <laughs> and start to heal. <laughs> We're a divided nation and a divided nation. Yeah. Jason, thanks so much for being with us. And we'll listen to you on WTOP. And Jen, will hear you on WTOP and follow your work uh, on Vulture, which is always uh, interesting and uh, worth following. And Lou and I will... Uh, <laughs> cutting our fingernails. <laughs> Lou, how are we going to get out of this? Well, I did a little research uh, on Sean Connery because, of course, everybody loves Sean Connery. And I came up with a, a movie that he released in 1959 through Disney called Darby McGill and the Little People. Does anybody? Oh, wow. And uh, there's actually a segment in the movie where he does sing. And I thought it would be oh. apropos to wrap up our podcast in memory of Sean Connery and hear some of his vocal technique. I'll take singers for a thousand. Have you ever seen the seagulls flying over heather? All the crimson sails in Galway Bay, the fishermen unfurl. Oh, the earth is filled with beauty, and it's gathered all together 
in the form and face and dainty grace of a pretty Irish girl. Oh, she is my dear, my darling one, her eyes so sparkling, full of fun. No other, no other can match the likes of her. She is my dear, my darling one, my smiling and beguiling one. I love the ground she walks upon, my darling Irish girl. This is the Cats Podcasting System.